Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, at a very young age, he decided he was a character actor. That decision was smart. He hasn't stopped working since. Welcome, Danny Burstein. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Danny Burstein, a six-time Tony Award nominee and a winner of countless awards for his work in the theater. Some of his Broadway credits include Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, Golden Boy, Follies, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, South Pacific, The Drowsy Chaperone, A Class Act, Titanic, Company, The Flowering Peach, Three Men on a Horse... (laughs) St. Joan. Still going. <laughs> the Seagull. Uh, Danny, I'll wake you up when I'm done reading your, know, your resume. Uh, and A Little Hotel on the Side. His film and television credits include Absolutely Fabulous, Different Characters in Six Episodes of Law and Order, Boardwalk Empire, Transamerica, Deception, The Family Fang, and Indignation. He is married to another Broadway legend, Rebecca Luker. Welcome, Danny Burstein. It's great to be here. Thanks, You Alana. can wake up now. Oh, my God. Wake what the an sleeve out of your eyes. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, guess what, my friend? You did all that. I know. I'm old. You are, <laughs> that's you all are I got from that. a child star, clearly. Well, started out very early, that's all. In utero. <laughs> Not quite. I was 19. Your mother tells I... <laughs> a story. She knew. Um, well, let's talk about that because uh-huh. 19 is young. Most people don't uh, continue to do whatever job they had at 19. That's true. Like I am no longer working at the bakery on Cedar Lane in Teaneck, <laughs> New Jersey, which was my job at 19. Would you like to? You know what? <laughs> Sometimes. Was not bad. After this interview, you're going to want to. <laughs> no, because you know what I loved about that job? I loved giving my friends big goods. Oh, that's right? Great. Like anything yeah. where you can share what you do and yeah, kind of lovely. be charitable and generous at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that my employers were thrilled with that, <laughs> but I did feel like, what, are you going to sell it tomorrow? Right. No. Of course not. No. So I would say that I'm not doing that anymore, although it would thrill me to no end to do it, but you are. 
Yeah. You started at 19. But I wondered, were you someone who uh, began acting even younger than that as a kid? When did this begin to be your passion? I knew I had a chance of doing it professionally when I got into the High School of Performing Arts when mm-hmm. I was 14. Actually, when I was 13, I auditioned for it and got in. And uh, that year, over 4,000 kids auditioned and 127 made it in. And I was one of the 127 New York City uh, public school kids who actually made it in, and and it changed my life. And um, on the first day, our, our uh, the head of the drama department, Jerry Eskow, said, you know, if you don't want to be here and if you don't want to do this for the rest of your life, walk out that door. You know, we're like, That's <laughs> like, wait, is that the high school that the TV show Fame yes, was based exactly. on? So, like, was it Debbie Allen who stood there with a the stick <laughs> in right. the opening credits, like, yo, I'm going to work you hard. Like that, that, that's right. exactly so right. So he and did actually, a scared straight kind of moment with exactly. you guys. Exactly, and when uh, they filmed that movie on uh, between my freshman and sophomore year, in high school, and all the kids in the school were extras in the show, in the movie. And are you and one of them? I am one of the extras, yeah. Like, are you dancing in the street around I the taxi dance- cab? Exactly right, and running up and down the stairs and, and through the hallways. Yeah, I'm one of those hundreds of kids. And for a long me. time when you started, I bet it was like fame the movie on your resume. You know, yeah. and we would like pad our... Th- no, I was in it. Yeah, exactly. I'm totally in you it. You can see my arm. <laughs> that was my arm. That was the beginning. Uh, yeah, but and and since then, I've just, I've just kept going. I've just, you know, been focused on it. I started doing community theater when I was 15 and uh, enjoyed it and loved it. And then when I was... Uh, 18, I got into Queens College and studied with a guy named Edward uh, Greenberg, who ran the St. Louis Muni, oh, uh, wow. the, which is the largest outdoor theater in yes, the country. Yes, still is, right? And, yeah. And uh, he gave me my equity card, and he said, you should come to St. Louis for the summer and, and spend a season there. And I did, and it, I cut my teeth there and learned so much, and he put me in the ensemble uh, of many shows uh, over the years, and I you know, learned so much from watching so many people. It was not about becoming famous. That was never my goal. My only goal was to really uh, do good work and have the respect of my peers over the years. And that I set out to do that. Wow. Not uh, just because I loved the work so much. And I still do. Still do. It's same. I have the same feeling that I did when I was 19 when I walk into a room for a first rehearsal or for a first day of filming. I, I love the excitement of it. And I try and pick projects that are interesting and blow my skirt up and make me happy. So your teacher's name was Eddie, you said? Edward Greenberg. Ed Greenberg. Ed Greenberg. Yeah. Is he still alive? No, he isn't. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Did he get to see some of your success? Yes, he did. He did? So of your shows, Uh how long did he last as you continued to kind of rise to Broadway success? Gotcha. He he passed away in 95. All right. So uh, the last Broadway show that he saw me do, I guess, was Company, the first revival of Company on Broadway. Which I got to see. Extraordinary. I sing that music a lot in my life. Don't be named Bobby around me (laughs) is all I can say. Like I can't actually start a conversation with anyone. And my father's name is Bob. So you can imagine all these years later, he's like, I know, I know. There's a song. Bobby, Bobby, right. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby, Bobby, do me. Okay. So... Before high school, was this something mm-hmm. you did as a kid? Were you writing plays in your room? Were you? I I was not. I I loved 
uh, Broadway cast albums, um, but I also loved rock and roll as okay. much. So uh, right next to my poster of My Fair Lady was a poster of the Steve Miller Band, and on the other side of My Fair Lady was a poster of Abbey Road, the okay. Beatles. So you were, you were um, your yin and yang were yes. in check. You sort of had a nice balance of appreciation. Exactly. But I always loved shows. My parents had uh, loads of cast albums. And, uh, you know, I grew up loving shows like Finian's Rainbow in Oklahoma. Right. This is what they had, My Fair Lady. And did you guys go uh, to see theater growing up? No. You did not. (laughs) No. You did not. You listened to it. It's crazy. Yeah, my dad is, uh, uh, teaches ancient Greek philosophy, is a philosophy philosophy professor. Not even funny thing happened on the way to the forum? (laughs) Like, you you didn't even see that? Well, the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, But, uh, and, and my mom is a painter, and she also teaches painting. And so... Uh, you know, we didn't go. We, you know, there were three boys, and they, my parents were always working, and right. so we sort of had to fend for ourselves. And it, it came about just because I loved reading. My dad gave me a a, a, a play, uh, Peer Gint by uh, Ibsen, and I read it, and I, I thought it was there kind was of There was like a Marvel wacky. comic on one shelf, and I, wait a minute, Danny, Peer Gint, he would enjoy <laughs> some light reading for but, a nine-year-old. You know, I, I wasn't much of a reader before mm-hmm. that. But I understood the dialogue form. It spoke to me. I was I was able to get into the story easier. That's interesting. And it, it wasn't uh, didactic in any way. Instead, it was, you know, immersive. And I loved reading plays. So I just started reading play after play after play after that. And that's how it all started. So obviously you went to the high school performing arts. Extraordinary that you got in. Yeah. So how did you even know about that? How did you know there's this high school where you can do this all the time? Well, I had a teacher in junior high school at Parsons Junior High School, which we used to call Parsons Prison, which is, I don't know. I'm <laughs> he sure says that with so much with love. With so much love. Um, Nostalgia. It's uh, on the edge of Flushing in Jamaica. And Queens. Queens, exactly right. And um, I had a teacher there named Stuart Glazer, and we did a production of The Me Nobody Knows. It was the first thing that I ever really did. And uh, afterwards, he said, you know, you should go to the High School of Performing Arts. And I said, great, what's okay. the High School of Performing Arts? And he explained it to me, this wonderful school where all these amazing people went, Liza Minnelli and Ben Vereen and on and on. And I... Uh, I said, great. He said, you have to prepare a couple of monologues. And I said, great. What's a monologue? Sure. I had no sure. idea. Um, and he said, you know, you have to know the monologue so well that if somebody woke you up in the middle of the night, you would be able to start that monologue at any place in the monologue and just do it verbatim. And I thought, okay. So I really worked on them really, really hard. And I uh, didn't have any coaching or anything like that. But I had an idea of what those monologues could be. And I think I did one from The Time of Your Life, uh, William uh-huh. Soroyan, and uh-huh. also from Dead End, I want to say. Okay, so pretend you're asleep. <laughs> yes. I'm going to wake you up right now, <laughs> and I want you to do a bit from Dead End. Go. I can't remember anything. Damn it. I was 13. <laughs> Damn it. I felt Damn like it. we were really on to something. Son of a... T- well, oh, I, I really bet, let you down. I bet there are pieces of Tevia you probably could still do. Sure, seeing sure. Seeing as that was your last yes, role. exactly. It would be terribly tragic if just moments later. It's true. Although there is that feeling when you walk off stage after doing a run of sort of leaving the costume behind. And, I do that, And trying actually. to, like, get these lines out of my head. I, I don't do want that. them anymore. So many people ask me, you know... Uh, to actually do do the same role again, like in Summerstock or in other places, and I try not to do that. I try to move on. I, I kind of 
In fact, I, I, I pride myself on the fact that the next job I do will hopefully be nothing like right. the last job I did. You know, uh, Aldolfo in The Drowsy Chaperone was nothing like uh, Billis in South Pacific, who was nothing like uh, the trainer in Golden Boy, Tokyo, who was nothing like uh, Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. What? Describe right now, who is the opposite? What is the, I mean, short of like playing like a baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I said to my agents, I, yeah. I, I tell them, please, and I push them. I say, you know, and they're fantastic. It took them uh, a little while to get me. Right. But I said, you know, let's push the envelope. Let's really, really explore what you think I can do. And I want to go even further. And I told them, keep looking for jobs right. that are really wacky and will stretch me and make me uh, really work hard and 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 use my imagination. So one day, about eight, nine years ago, I got an email from my agent and, and he said, I found the perfect part for you. It was an independent film. And he said, uh, "It the, the role is a gay, deaf pedophile that works in a pizza shop. And I thought, Eureka! Oh that's it. And the Oscar goes <laughs> too. Exactly right. Right, because I was thinking like post-heavy, like a serial killer, like it really would yeah. have to be someone whose intentions are the opposite of good. Exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, I... I, st- I worked on it very hard, and I actually got wound up getting the film. <laughs> that was a real thing. It was a real thing. <laughs> and uh, and it's a terrific film called Nor'easter. It's I'm really, really kind of proud of my work in it. And I studied uh, ASL, sign language, for two months before. I studied with three different teachers. Um, I worked very hard. I had to learn how to make a pizza the way they make it in Maine, because that's where we filmed. Um, it I was... stared at children I didn't know and. <laughs> Schoolyard playground. <laughs> that I didn't do. Uh, that wow. I had to imagine. Wow. So uh, nor'easter. Yeah. Everybody, just leave the podcast for a minute, watch the movie, <laughs> no, and come back. Oh, okay. You can that, do that sounds amazing. <laughs> so that's great that you can kind of. If, so you're kind of a magician, like you can manifest an idea of something, and then it gets brought to you. Well, I I try to be different. I I think that's part of the uh, gig. You know, I love being a character actor. Can I we love... talk about that when sure. people say character actor? Yeah. Because to me, you are by the very definition of acting, playing a character. But there is some idea of like the leading man mm-hmm. versus the character actor. Right. Is that what we're talking about when someone says I'm a character actor? It's That's exactly right. It, it is usually the sidekick or um, I... I was I don't know whether I was smart or whatever, yeah. but I was realistic about it. I looked in the mirror when I was younger, and I went, well, "I'm not the uh, young leading man. I'm just not. I'm not tall and pretty and uh, any of that. I'm losing my hair. I'm you know I'm this uh, slightly overweight, stocky guy, and that actually afforded me uh, an interesting way into uh, making a living in this business. I loved. Finding all those weird characters that nobody thought that I could play or or making or having characters that everybody thought they understood or right. knew and making them different in some way. So you never tried to transform into someone else's idea uh, of what a successful actor might look like. No, I didn't know what that meant anyway. Right. I never had any, uh, you know, nobody in my family was an actor and knew nothing about it. So I just had this idea of... Uh, being somebody different, and I, there were there were actors that I loved that I you know still love till to this day, uh, Spencer Tracy and Paul Schofield uh, specifically, and those guys were always just real and honest, and that was my goal. But to set uh, parameters, 
So whatever particular uh, I, role I was playing, I would say it's a game. Whatever particular the rules of the game are at that particular time, then you try and push the envelope. So to that end, I mean, to me, I thought about, you know, when you think of a character actor, and then I looked at so many of, you know, photographs. I do a lot of research before I have someone come in mm-hmm. to this podcast, booth, even if I know them, because there's so much work I want to uncover or things about them. And I sure. thought one of the things that you talked about is sort of the thrill of coming out the stage door after a play mm-hmm. and people looking at you for a moment and going, oh, no, he wasn't in the play. Right. Right. Like this idea that you have completely transformed. You know, Adolfo is a perfect example. Yeah, and, that is and a perfect example. wigs and costumes and, sort, right. and accents. And then right. out comes this normal-looking human being at yeah. the door. And so the thrill of um, winning in yeah. that way. I, had a, I was in L.A. Uh, not too long ago and had an interview with a casting director. And she said, you know, I realize I've seen you many times, but I just didn't know it was always you. And so that's good and bad, she told me. I was like, because because you're not marketable as the this thing. Right. Because the whole business wants to make you, wants to pigeonhole you, and wants to say, oh, he's the funny sidekick who does this, or he's the Latin lover, or he's the New York-y guy, or he's the whatever, or the bully, or whatever. And I just have tried to change people's minds about that or keep them on their toes. What Actually, after it happened again, what you talked about just recently, because after um, Fiddler on the Roof, after I took my final bow, I went off stage and shaved my beard immediately. Wow. And then uh, it had some champagne in my room, and then we were off to go to, to the closing night party and walked out the stage door, and many people asked me, whether I knew, uh, Tevye whether, coming yeah, out? whether I knew if Tevi was coming out, or <laughs> they asked me who I played mm. in the show because they had no idea. I was Tevi's beard. <laughs> That's good. That's Let's a good line. Talk about this. So Danny just did an extraordinary run. Was it a year? Uh, it was a little over a year. Yeah, a little it was, over. It was fourteen months, I think, of of that. But I, I had been working on it for a long time. For I'm sure. Probably two years. Playing one of the most iconic roles. Uh, in Broadway history and on film as well. Yeah. Uh, he played Tevya, the lead, the dad in Fiddler mm-hmm. on the Roof, one of my all-time favorite films and all-time favorite musicals. I could sing every word to every song. And literally when I went to see you on Broadway, I feel like people around me were like, this is not karaoke. Like you are not, <laughs> this is not like Sound of Music in the Park where we're all singing together. Right. But it was remarkable for me to realize, well, I really do know this soundtrack is such a part of my family's history and yeah. my um, introduction to Broadway when you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I call it musical theater mother's milk. Yes, it really <laughs> was. And I, you know, I can picture the cast album perfectly that I would lie on bed listening to. And to say you are extraordinary in that part is to uh, is the much. understatement of the century. That's very kind of you. Thank you. But I would like to know, because the beard is such a huge part of that character's identity, yeah. um, what was that like sh- shaving it off after uh, all that time? It was liberating. It really was. I actually missed my face. Mm. I, you know, and you know, we knew for five and a half months our closing date which is an amazing luxury. Yes. You know, time was when I started out, they would, you know, they would gather. Tomorrow is actually a closing day. They would the cast and they would say, you know, we're closing on Thursday or we're closing on Sunday. And that was it. Now you get six months, three months, two months. That's an amazing luxury because it gives you time to uh, 
plan the rest of your life after yeah. that, which is which is wonderful. But I started and pace yourself. Yes, I go back and forth between having facial hair and not having facial hair. In life, in, uh, well, depending on what role I'm playing. So over the but last... in your daily life, when you're not working, are you a guy who shaves or a guy who likes to have a little scruff? I like to have a little. I, I shave like once uh, every nine days. Because people want to know this. <laughs> I just shaved this morning. And if it, anybody wants, to I'm, if there was ever a moment that I was sad, this was radio. I, I my beard for Tevia was down to almost my nipples, if you will, and uh, it became a little crazy because I would actually wake myself up at night because I my arm would be laying on my beard and my neck couldn't move. So I, I, I just went, you know what? The, the hell with the commitment. Yeah. I, I am. I have to shave this Daddy's thing. Daddy's getting a trim. Daddy's getting a trim. So, you know, I went in front of the mirror and just started keeping it at a certain length. And it right. was much shorter than it was when I first started out. I just, it just became too crazy in my in my regular normal life. Yeah. A little too shalom aleichem yes. under the circumstances. Yeah. Right. I just was imagining you like, like strangling yourself. Well, it's kind like, of like. Get off me. Get you, off me. You, you can't zip up anything or button your, your collar or anything without hair getting, you know, in your buttonhole. What hole. you do for your art, Danny Bernstein, <laughs> that's, there should be a award for that. A yeah. best beard award. There should be a best beard award. So you felt liberated. I did. And you must have felt very different very quickly. I did. I did. My wife didn't didn't matter. It didn't matter to her one way or the other. She she likes me really you know, with the beard or really without the beard. Really, months in, wasn't she like? It's actually down. It is long and unruly. <laughs> and now I'm getting strangled by the beard too. No, she's just a <laughs> she, sweetheart she about it. She never said anything. Absolutely anything. No. Well, she's, Rebecca Luker, you are um, a goddess. Yeah, well, she's a very kind person. So yes. No doubt about it. Yes, I look forward to having her in the same chair you are sitting in one day because she's done one million unbelievably beautiful, iconic roles yeah. as well. She does, she does. I mean, she's an amazing, she opens her mouth. This is what I tell people all the time. She opens her mouth and her heart falls out. She's, you know. Now she that's has dangerous. That, <laughs> it could be dangerous. <laughs> Don't try well, this It's better at home, than a gallbladder, yes. you know. Um, she has this beautiful gift that, you know, it's this voice from heaven. Yeah. And uh, I, I, Never had anything like that myself. I, you know, I never, I never took. I'm scared to take uh, voice lessons. I never really took voice lessons. Uh, I took, I took speech lessons and how to, you know, keep my uh, my instrument, you know, working as far as uh, that well, goes. Kind of but not singing because I mean, you can say that you're not a singer. I'm really not. Um, I'm really not. Well, you are, and <laughs> I have read a list of musicals here that will prove it, that you were paid for, that you recorded. <laughs> but not only that, the idea that you have this natural gift, that you can also play with your voice for different characters, yeah. but also sustain eight shows a week without vocal yep. training. Right. How do you do that? Well, uh, it it is killer to do it. You have to live like a monk. Do I, you I... not speak often like from all day until like five o'clock in the evening, like certain I, Broadway stars. Honestly, I didn't during during Tevia. I couldn't speak really uh, during the day at all. That was in order to get through eight a week. Um, but near the end of the uh, run, I was doing seven, and the last week I did six because my body was so tired. You know, if you use a muscle uh, without resting, it without ever. resting it ever, you know, eventually it's going to go. You know what? I can't do that anymore. You have to pace yourself properly. And uh, by the end of it, I, I wasn't. I was doing so many things that it was impossible to pace myself that way. And But for 90% of the run, 
99% of the run, yeah. I did eight performances a week, and uh, I was, and it was very, very difficult. I took, I took one vacation in 14 months uh, of performances, and it was, you know, not a, to me, it really was not enough. I should have taken one more so I could have, you know, gotten through the end. But I wanted to, you know, really barrel through and do as many as I could. I didn't want to miss uh, a moment of it. I really loved doing that show. Uh, I I felt that, and I saw it toward the end, and I still felt that there was not what's the expression phoning it in. There was not that there were phones in on a Tefka, but <laughs> there was not one moment that didn't feel completely full and um, rejoicing in the material and with your co-stars. It was really exciting to see. I wanted to ask you about. There's a story that. Well, you can tell me if this is true or not. Okay. Is it true? No. That you and you were <laughs> that when you got arrested. Uh, is it true? <laughs> that, that is true. When you have you ever been arrested? No. Do you have any criminal record of any kind? No, nothing. No, I'm. I, you know what? I, I'm no, not even a little bit. Okay, you've never I'm stolen so, anything. I've never smoked pot. I've never taken any nothing. I'm. You know, beer is my worst. Uh, you know, the, the fact that I have a you know a beer at, at night maybe a keg know. party every like, once in a while. <laughs> once in a is while. That's so wrong. Every night. Kegger no. in Bernstein's <laughs> dressing room. It's, Are you a prankster? No, not really. Okay. No, I, I don't like it on stage. Mm. I mean, if it happens, stuff happens all right. the time on stage. But there are people who go out on stage trying to make other people break up. I, I don't get into that. I think the people paid a lot of money to be there that night. Right. And we, uh, at the least, should give them a great show. Yes. Um, so, And I think as the show goes on, you should really work hard to make the show better and better Anywhere along the continuum, it should get better and better, and right. you not should sillier get realer and sillier, and more and deeper and uh, more heartfelt. Right, like real relationships. Yeah, that it's... over time deepen and, and build. I once did a play called Wrong Mountain, which had mm-hmm. too short a life on Broadway. I'm sorry. Uh, it's all right. I've it been happens. there. Believe me, I <laughs> it know. Happens. Um, but you know what? That same play. It's so ironic. David Hurson, who's this extraordinary writer, he'd also written a play called Labette oh, that sure, you might have heard of. That of same play that we did on Broadway. You know, of course, won the Olivier Award in London. So That's the way it goes. Different yeah. strokes for different folks. Tell me about but it. But I had a baby in the play, and there was a doll in like an old-fashioned kind of British pram mm-hmm. that I would push the baby out. Right. And and. To your feeling like we need to be respectful. One of the crew guys who I totally had a crush on and I want to take complete responsibility for the fact Mm -hmm. that there was a flirt going on. So it wasn't outrageous that he would try to make me laugh because I tried to make him laugh every time I was backstage pre-entrance. So I just I want to take responsibility for my part. There's two parts to every story. Of course. However. So with that caveat. With that caveat that I'm not perfect, (laughs) I wheel the stroller out, and then like there's a perfect sound effect that really makes it sound like the baby in the stroller is Mm -hmm. crying, and I look inside the stroller, and he has... There, the baby has no eyes. Like the eyes had been gouged out of the doll. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it was really shocking. And you know when you have a doll that you've used as your baby, like for a long time, the show, we had done it out of town, and we'd come in. Yeah. Like I really felt like that was my baby. Yeah. I had endowed it with a lot of human, real-life characteristics. And suddenly to see like a baby with no eyes, like it really messed up my show. Yeah, of course. And, uh, Little things like that do. I mean, it was good that I knew that because it made it clear, like, we're not going to date. <laughs> because if we date that and then was, get married the deal and have a baby, right. he might do something bad to the baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I some, hadn't gone that far, but yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's good. We find out very early on who people are. It's true. Well, Did yeah. you ever have any mishaps during Fiddler on the Roof or any Broadway shows where a prop wasn't it supposed to be or you had to improvise in some sure. way? You know, that, that happens over the course of a long run. Anything and everything happens, and you have to be prepared for it. And in, in, in a way, I enjoy that kind of stuff because it forces you to really be in the moment and listen, which is the most important part of acting, and, and continue right. forward. Um, you know, huge set pieces did not come in. Um, in in Fiddler? In Fiddler, yeah. You like... know, and so we were all, you know, <laughs> stranded in this big open stage, and, a, and the barn wasn't there, and we're talking about being in the barn, and there was no barn. And... Do you improvise at all, like, to kind of let the audience know? Not, not hey, the set piece didn't work, but like... Right. This feels like I'm in a barn. <laughs> or do you just keep going? Well, you, you try and keep going. And if you can, you know, indicate it in some uh, way and help the audience out and help your cast members out. and Because there are always going to be one or two people, you know, finding it hysterical on yes. stage, you know, and trying to, and turning up stage. They're cold all of a sudden. Exactly. Their shoulders are going up. One of the actors here go like, ooh. <laughs> when you were 19, is this true? Danny Burstein, you wrote a letter to Stephen Sondheim because you were doing a play of his at school yeah. and were mystified by one of the characters you were playing or weren't sure what to do, and you thought, I'm going to go to the source. That is true. I was 18, and I, and Ed Greenberg, who was directing the musical, uh, cast me in, as Frank in Merrily We Roll Along, and it had just closed three months before on Broadway. And it was a famously troubled uh, time yeah, getting that documentary musical, about it, getting uh, that yeah. musical up, and uh, what was the right way to go with the the characters? You know, the people, uh, they, some people booed apparently at, at shows, if you can believe it. And uh, Ed decided to direct that show because it had a lot of young people in it, and uh, I, I was cast as Frank, and it's really, really a hard character to uh, figure out. And I didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine said, well, you know who you should ask? You should ask Stephen Sondheim. And I went, yeah, good idea, good Bart. idea, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and he went, no, 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 I, I have a friend who has his address. What? So I thought, uh, okay, what the hell? So I wrote this letter with a million questions uh, about the show and about the character and how what they were thinking. And within the week, I got a letter back from Steve Sondheim saying uh, all those questions would have to be answered in a letter the size of war and peace. Here's my number. Give me a call. Let's get together and we can talk uh, this through and maybe I can help. So I think it was about three weeks later, I found myself in his townhouse in Turtle Bay and I, he walked and walked. Hi, Mr. Sondheim. <laughs> yeah, and he, he and uh, James Lapine were working on Sunday in the Park. Uh, Lapine walked out. You know, he was like, oh, hello, that's oh James Lapine. Um, and he sat. James, do you know Danny? That was one of those. Oh and, he, and I sat down on his couch, and he said, I'll be right back. Came back with this enormous carafe of white wine and two glasses. Boom. <clears throat> sat it down on the table, and he said, okay, what do you want to know? How can I help? And for the next three hours, I got an amazing education on not only musical theater and not only Merrily We Roll Along, but uh, what it was like to be a creative force in the theater and what his life uh, had been like. And um, 
how he was trying to make a difference and how he was trying to write and what it meant to write. And uh, it was, he was... That's extraordinary. It was extraordinary and, ast- and astounding. And and honestly, it's the reason I'm here <laughs> right now On with Little you. Known Facts. On Little Known Facts, because I, you know, decided a long time ago, uh, if Stephen Sondheim can give back to 18-year-old Danny Burstein... Right. I'll share, least, too. The least I can do is show up. And I do a lot of talks for... And you know, I go to schools, and I've I've gone back to all my alma maters and all the... Ironically, all the schools that turned me down, like <laughs> Yale and NYU and Juilliard. I've taught master classes. I'm there. sure you open with that. <laughs> I'll show them. I'll show them all. I just couldn't help it. I just had to say yes when they asked. Of course. It's always nice to be invited yeah. when you're um, no longer auditioning, especially... <laughs> So then years later, when you star in Follies, mm-hmm. another Stephen Sondheim yeah. incredible show, did he remember that story? Well, I, we'd actually worked together before that twice. Uh, what I were did, the other? Uh, oh, Company. We, I did Company, of okay. course, and Merrily We Roll Along Off-Broadway. Did he remember this uh, event, or did he do it, it for so many young kids that it was less special in some he ways actually, for him? I, I don't know how many uh, people he did it for, but I know Lonnie Price He uh, told me that he did it for him as well. Um, I don't know how many uh, uh, young people had the chutzpah to actually, actually write. do it at that uh, age. But I, I did, and, and he was unbelievably kind, and I'll, it influences me to this day, and I'll never forget it. So he has a reputation for being incredibly generous and kind mm-hmm. in the way that you just described, but also really intimidating mm-hmm. to work with. What is it like to really work with Stephen Sondheim it's, as a grown person, a colleague in one of his pieces. I, I think it took me a while not to be so incredibly intimidated. And I think he doesn't want to be incredibly intimidating. He said if he wasn't uh, a writer for the musical theater, he would be a teacher. It's extraordinary. You know, I talk a lot with actors who are on the show who are film and television actors as well. And we talk a lot about what it means, the responsibility of being number one on a call sheet, mm-hmm. which means you are, you know, the person with the biggest right. part or stardom, and how much you become a leader of a project based on your billing in that way. Yeah. And that in recent years, you have joined the leagues of number one on the call sheet, as it were, mm-hmm. of a Broadway cast, right? Yeah. Like for Cabaret, it would be um, Alan yeah. Cumming Alan, or, yeah. or there's Bernadette Peters or, or John Lithgow, all the different people right. along the way who you've worked with who right. were the star. And all of them were great teachers. Right. And leaders, right? And leaders. So what does that mean? Like if you were at the center, like you're Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. You're the MC in Cabaret. There are certain right. parts, you know, you're playing Rose in Gypsy. There are certain parts that historically are at the center of the thing. And often it comes with a, a certain amount of experience, right? right. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you to be at the center of a show? And what is your responsibility to this family being created? In Fiddler, you're literally the papa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so How does that go? <laughs> the papa. Exactly. Right. Um, the papa. Tradition. Um, <laughs> it, it is a huge responsibility to be in that position. And uh, as I said, I had great, great teachers, Bernadette and Alan and uh, Lithgow and, and Scorny Weaver and on and on. And they taught me that it was not about their personalities, it was about the work. Mm. And that was the most important thing, coming in every night, showing up, and leading by example. And not being uh, a diva backstage, but being kind to everyone and knowing everybody's name in the theater. 
So you know the usher's names, you know the, the doorman's name, you know, you know all the stagehand's name. They are no different from anybody else in the cast. The PA working on the show is just as important as the person you're playing opposite. And if you walk in that door with that attitude that everybody is there to work on this project together, to tell the best story that they can every single night, then I think it's golden. You'll be fine as long as you keep your stupid ego out of the way. At the end of the day, it means nothing. It's meaningless. Fame means nothing. I've, I've, you know, some wonderful actors that I've worked with who do a lot of films, you know, they all say the same thing. Fame is overrated. Mm -hmm. And they sort of shake their heads. And and it is. It means nothing. It's, it's, a, it's not a good thing, necessarily. It kind of ruins lives. So I'm very happy with just doing the work and trying to find projects that are exciting. Fame being overrated, as mm -hmm. it may be, there's something kind of incredible when you're an actor, a working actor for a long time, and you really are were like a workhorse, mm -hmm. getting offers versus auditioning. Right. There's something incredible at that that moment when that happens for the first time yeah. in a big way. Right. Not like come do a reading or come do something far right. away. Sure. So what was your first offer for Broadway? My first Broadway show was an offer. Which was? Which was... Uh, Wait, A Little Hotel A Little on Hotel the on the Side, which is a Fado farce. I had worked with Tony Randall in uh, Summerstock in the 80s, and uh, he was talking about uh, forming uh, a national actor's theater, of a course. repertory company on right. Broadway. He had been for years. And it happened. And it happened. Um, and we'd worked together in Summerstock. We did a production of Around the World in 80 Days. Wait, so your teacher who brought you out to the Muni, mm -hmm. is that where you met Tony Randall? That's right. My God, One, this man is responsible for, for he's everything. I feel like he's responsible for me. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, he's amazing. He right, was amazing. Just the domino effect of yeah. all the good things that happened. So you go to the yeah. Muni and... And one of the people that did I met there. Did you grow up watching The Odd Couple of like course. I did? You're, of course. It's Tony Randall. Yes, of okay. course. Okay. Of course. And sadly, so many people don't know who he is. Anymore. I don't even know I how mentioned to speak him. to that. I don't know how to speak to that either. Uh, I, I mentioned him to people uh, uh, in interviews, and a lot of the people have no idea who he is. So if you went is. like Oscar, 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 <laughs> they'd not, they would know. Oh, Oscar. Yeah, so Can you I, do a Tony Randall? Well, impression? you know what? I, I, when in. In 91, when he called me when I for that job, uh, out of the blue, I hadn't talked to him in like two years, and I picked up the phone, and, and I heard, Danny, Tony Randall, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and he said, and he offered me uh, a role in his repertory company. And I did, I think, one or two uh, roles, uh, maybe I covered, uh, but I was in, my first show with, uh, was uh, A Little Hotel on the Side. I Was, was uh, he in it? He was in it as well, um, and Marianne Plunkett and Lynn Redgrave and some kid making his Broadway debut named Rob Lowe Hacks, was in it. Hacks well. all. All of them. And that's uh, a Redgrave. <laughs> Lynn, Lynn. Sorry, Lynn. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, a fantastic that's wild. group of people. What happened to that theater? And ha it lasted a few years. It did. It did. And unfortunately, it didn't uh, It didn't last stay because, because when he left? He, he had to make such a big splash in order to get it up uh, uh, for uh, up and running that uh, people took him down because of it. And they said, oh, it's just sort of some kind of ego trip. And he got a lot of uh, flack for that. And so uh, the excitement turned into this uh, 
ugliness that started coming his way, and he found it harder and harder oh. to raise money for the company. But there were some wonderful, wonderful productions that uh, the National Actors Theater uh, put on, and I was very, very honored to. So, I mean, one of them, I mean, for God's sakes, I did St. Joan on Broadway with Marianne Plunkett and John Neville, the great English actor. And that was, you know, and it, Michael Langham directed it. Were no, you a company? Was, was there a an official? Yeah. Official. Was there an official company? <laughs> there was an official company. <laughs> I'm going to get T-shirts made. It's official. <laughs> so you got offers straight away. Uh, well, I was lucky enough to. Of course, I had to audition for you know many many other things. Did you audition that. for Adolfo? Uh, yeah, I did the first reading of it. I did the first two readings of it in, in the United States. They had done it in Canada with an all-Canadian cast, because the writers were Canadian. Um, and then uh, when they brought it to the United States, uh, I did a couple of readings of it, and it went famously. And then Case, they asked Casey Nicola to direct and choreograph his first Broadway show. And um, I, so I auditioned for Casey. Yeah, but I knew Casey. We were chorus boys together in, in different shows, and I love – he's, in, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one of the great uh, – greatest maybe ever uh, director choreographers we've ever had. He's so smart and so ridiculously funny. Do you prepare differently for a musical than you do a straight play? Well, just in, as far as the music goes, as far as the singing. Oh, but uh, Do you my, read music? My, no, I don't. Okay. But my ultimate goal is just to do the most honest work that I can do, given the rules of the game. Yes. Again. Are you superstitious? Do you have like a pre-show ritual where that, that repeats itself? I think every show that I do has, I sort of form my own ritual, you know, depending on what the show is and what I, what is required of that show. I'm very much a creature of habit. I get into the same routines uh, between shows. I try and have, I, I tend to have the same dinner and the, at the same time and I'd like to take a 20 minute nap and I you know that kind of thing and, and so if for it some becomes reason a routine. it can't happen on a Tuesday mm -hmm. are you freaked out before the show like wait no. I didn't put my ring over here and I didn't have the no. steam broccoli at this hour and the, no you're fine no. like yeah. it doesn't freak you out no I don't get freaked out easily I'm, I'm more of you know I'm a middle child they're an older brother and a younger brother and uh, I was the peacemaker so it's so all I, you know what everything will be uh, everything works you're out you're Switzerland it, it takes a lot to get me riled up. One of your talents among many is you're really fast and you're really funny in life and on stage. And that's not always the case. So sometimes I wonder, I meet people and they're like, oh my God, like Dan Fogler was here and he was like, I was entertaining yeah. my entire family at dinner, yeah. everywhere. You know, I wasn't the best student, but I could kind of charm my teachers. Like there was a way right. in which they learn very quickly. This feels great. Like uh -huh. I'm making this thing, I say it, it comes out of my mouth, everyone's laughing. This is happy making. Yeah, I was more calm and you know, and 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 more Switzerland. That's, yeah. as you said, I talked to friends who were with me at the High School of Performing Arts, and nobody thought that I had any potential <laughs> whatsoever. Thank you. Uh, thank you very Those much. Those are really good friends. Good friend. We're very close. <laughs> and they, you know, it it took me a while to um, discover that I could do that kind of stuff. It wasn't the to me, that's never the reason I got involved in it in the first place. Um, I loved the work. I loved the plays and the projects. And and so um, it's only as as I've gotten older that I, I've sort of uh, started talking back. Being confident. Being, Being more, confident in that confident. part of your... So where did you meet Rebecca? On Rikers Island. 
Back to the arrest. Back to the arrest. Yes, yes which never she happened. She was your warden. She was. <laughs> she still is. Yes. <laughs> very soft hands. Well, that's what you want in a warden. Exactly right. But she was very strict. Yes. Um, Again, exactly we, what you want with a warden. We met. We were both in other relationships. We were. We met doing uh, a show called Time and Again. I thought you were in a show called Other Relationships. Other Relationships. Yes, we met doing Other in Relationships. In Other Relationships. Um, yeah. But we weren't. Uh, romantically involved, and uh, but we became great friends. There were five of us. It was a show out of town that Jack O'Brien was directing, a new musical that was going to come into New York uh, based on the Jack Finney novel called Time and Again. And uh, uh, Howard McGillan, Jessica Malaski, Rebecca, myself, and George Dvorsky, the five of us became very close. I would and have respected you marrying any one of those people. <laughs> I, they are too. all amazing and talented. Incredibly brilliant people. Great. And uh, after it was over... Uh, about a year and a half later or so, we were cast opposite each other in uh, Barry Manilow's musical called Harmony, and we did a reading of it. And I said, "I don't know that musical. Uh, it never made it to New York. It's okay. Another one of those shows that." But I know, love Barry Manilow. Did you get yeah. to meet Barry Manilow? Oh, sure. Yeah, we did the show with him. He was great. Are you friends with him? No, I'm not. I mean, you know, I, I'm friendly with him. If I saw him, I, you know, we'd of course know who each uh, who we are. Okay. But uh, I mean, at least I think you would, would know who he is. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were sitting, we were playing opposite each other. And I said, you know, at the first day, how's it going with you? And she said, well, you know, not well. And my relationship is broken up. And I said, well, I'm separated. <laughs> and, good uh, news. Good news. Yes. <laughs> and the, the heavens opened up and the sun poured out its heavenly rays. And uh, we slowly, over the course of that rehearsal, doing that two-week reading, uh, started dating and um Went on a date after it was over, about a week after that. Do you guys look for things to do together? Uh, you know, we have, but it hasn't really manifested itself since uh, since doing Harmony, that show, which we wound up doing at the La Jolla Playhouse and on another uh, Broadway musical that never made it right. into New York. I feel like, I just want to say on that one, it might have been mm -hmm. as simple as the title. Harmony? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not quite enough. It doesn't let me know enough about what I'm going to say. Barry, if you're listening, yes. change the title. Yes, because I feel like the album names that he's had have been, I don't know. I'm just saying we can revisit Harmony. That might be what you and Rebecca bring back to Broadway. Oh, I think we're a little long in the tooth you at think? this point. Yeah. You're a character actor. That's true. If, and also your wife, not long in the tooth. Anyway, I guess I wonder if uh, you can think of, I mean, you've worked with so many incredible people along the way, and it sounds like... The takeaway is mentorship and, and teachers and giving back and community. Was there advice that you got early on that has really stayed with you that you can think of? Well, <laughs> the first time I met Tony Randall, uh, we were on the uh, uh, in a rehearsal platform. They have these outdoor platforms at the St. Louis Muni. And uh, he was an idol of mine, needless to say. And growing up in New York with the odd couple going on all the time. You'd be like, which reruns. building on Central Park West is it real? Like, all Truly of it. All amazing. of it. And uh, I had these wonderful roles opposite him. I had four roles opposite him in the show. And each time he would go to a different city in the show, I would be there as a different character, dressed differently with a different accent. It was so a wonderful fun. role. You know, wonderful character actors. Uh, you know, a wet, feast. Dream, wet dream. A feast. Really perfect. And... Uh, for some reason, he felt the need to feel me out a little bit. And he said, so tell me about yourself. And I said, well, you know, I'm 
about to go to graduate school, about to get married. There's a lot going on in my life. And he said, graduate school? For what? I said, for uh, theater, for acting. He said, so you'll have a master's and you'll be able to teach acting? And I said, yeah, I'll be able to teach acting. He said, if you had an acting class in front of you right now, what would you tell him was the most important part of acting? And I was so green and, and nervous, and, and I, I, I stuttered, and he was my idol, for God's sake. And I said, well, my favorite acting teachers always said that acting is doing and acting is reacting. And he went, ha, 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 uh-uh, listening. And I said, well, that's very much a part of reacting, don't you think? He said, don't argue with me, you asshole. You should get down on your knees and thank me for telling you this. Then he stood up and said, it takes 10 years to learn how to listen. 10 years. And he walked away. And believe it or not, that was the best piece of advice I've ever gotten on acting. To listen. To actually be in the moment every single, every single second. To actually listen. Because you never know what's going to happen. Right. It's happening live. And you have to be present and listen. And it changes the way you read your lines every single second. So it's not about, oh, God, my line's coming up. Oh, God, my line's coming up. It is about listening and then responding and being real. And it took me about 10 years yeah. to get it. Even though he called me an asshole the first time I met him. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. And he loved me. And we became uh, great friends. And, uh, you know, we'd go to his house on Thanksgiving. And I adored him. I really did. And I adore his his uh, his uh, his widow, uh, Heather, and their two beautiful kids, Jefferson and Julia. God, I was thinking as you said that, that now I'm not standing there going, what's my line? It's really, what is my next line? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about becoming a certain age, yes, of do course. you have any trouble with lines? Oh, I did. You know what? I actually went through a thyroid thing not too long ago. Right before Fiddler started, they told me I had cancer for two for two weeks. Great. Yeah, I know. Great news. Yeah, thyroid cancer. You got to have ya. I know, but you may not be able to. You, you know, won't live to see it. Uh, it, was, it was, oh, my you know, God. An, inter- an interesting time. Uh, it was more like three weeks. Anyway. Three it, weeks before, like, the biopsy came back. Before Is that they Before they actually gave me a proper diagnosis. Oh, my God. Anyway, um... The, one of the things about thyroid, the thyroid is it controls things like memory and how tired you are and uh, on and on. It right. is, they call it the little general in your body. And so I was getting very tired and forgetful. And it, was, um, it took a very long time on, on uh, playing with meds to actually regulate the, my thyroid to be absolutely normal. So I have to take you know, a couple of pills every morning. Yeah, that's it. Still. There's, there's no side effects whatsoever. It could go away any t- at any time. Um, so the twitch and- I'm seeing right now, not, not <laughs> what related. Twitch? What are you talking about? <laughs> not related at it also, all. It also regulates moods. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. That's great. So don't miss a pill. No, That's really exactly. the lesson. <laughs> so you had it. You had that thing happen. I had that thing happen where, where, where all of a sudden I would Danny, go. Danny, we need to tell you something. What the hell is going on? Yes. And I had that. And I had those, you know, long needles stuck into my neck and, you know, for biopsies. It was really, it was, it was really amazing. You, you learned that. One thing I learned, that I wasn't afraid to die, which was very interesting. But I was, but at the same time, it made me very sad because I would miss all the things that my kids would go through, like getting married and having their own ki- kids of right. their own and growing old, you know, with my wife. That, 
that's what I uh, felt bad about. But at the same time, I, was, I sort of went, all right, if this is – I'm going to die soon, I'm going to die soon. But I'm more sad about those things of than course. my own mortality. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so it was an interesting time. And all that happened right before Fiddler on the Roof. Are you serious? Yeah. Did you have to tell the producers, like, hey, you should know this I, thing is going I did on. not until I got uh, the, you know, the doctors were telling me, you know, we're 90% sure that this is the way it, it is and this is the way it is. We goes. think you're going to get a Tony nomination. <laughs> we're actually 99% sure of that. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. I didn't know that. And uh, how lucky for you, for your family, and for all of us that you're well, okay we yeah. don't all get to kind of have that moment of really reckoning. Like, yeah. how do I want to live my life? Right. Because there is something finite here being presented to me. Yeah. And then to find out that, actually, not right now. You're okay. It's yeah. incredible. It was uh, an interesting journey. Do you feel different now? Do I feel? I feel like a little girl. No, <laughs> That's your next role. <laughs> a little girl Wouldn't serial I love killer. To, <laughs> Who makes amazing. pizzas in she Maine. With, and signs if she does it. Is there an audition story that that you have from your past that's humorous. I auditioned when uh, probably about 25 years ago, I auditioned for Little Shop of Horrors. My favorite. Uh, that was being done in Galveston, Texas. Of course. And it was just uh, the director and the guy playing the piano in the room. And I went in, and it was at the old John Houseman Theater on 42nd Street, yeah, which Theater is no Row. longer there yeah. on Theater Row. And I went into the basement there and uh, g- gave the uh, pianist my music. And started singing my audition song, whatever the hell it was. Oh, I wish you remember and it. I, I think I'm thinking it was "Need to Know," which is a song that I did in uh, a, a, a musical that didn't go very well. Harmony. Uh, no, <laughs> called "Weird Romance." That was off Broadway. That was written by Alan Menken and David Spencer. Um, it was after uh, "Little Shop of Horrors," and they were trying to, you know, capitalize right. on the fame. It was also at the WPA Theater where Little Shop had started. Amazing. Um, anyway, I think that's what the song was. Okay, you'll sing and, it. You'll <laughs> sing us out with that song. Okay. After the story. And I gave the guy my music, and I said, you know, I'm going to sing this song, and I started singing. And just as I started singing, the guy looked at me, and gave me a funny look, and then started looking around the room, and just while he was sitting there looking around the room. And then bent down and, and got his briefcase off of the floor and opened up his briefcase and started rifling through papers in his briefcase. And I was, you know, three lines into my song, and he's going through, not looking at me, not paying attention. It's a great feeling, at isn't all. it? <laughs> Terrific. He's going through his papers in his briefcase. And he closes the briefcase and he looks around and goes, huh. and then walks to the far corner. Of the room, again, with his back to me, not facing me at all, and starts rifling through the garbage can, the waste paper basket, and looking through the waste paper basket on one knee. Going, to, I, look at the, I look at the guy playing the piano, and he gives me a look like, don't ask me. I don't know what's going on either. So I, I finish my song, and he puts the waste paper basket down from the corner and walks, starts walking back to me, and he says, well... I don't know where the callback sheet is, but you've got a call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, listeners, if during your song you feel they're distracted, ordering lunch, right, reading their mail, really what it means is you got this. You got a callback. You got this. All right. What was the song? Uh, it was Need to Know. 
Uh, I'm trying to remember it. I'm 10 years old. I'm at the local duplex, the science fiction matinee at two. I don't recall the movie, but the aliens were groovy, and I wondered how they make the actors blue. So when I get home, I fill the tub with fizzies, 30, 40 fizzies, purple grape. I soak for seven hours. I get these funny streaks. They won't come off in showers. People laugh at me for weeks. That's the beginning of it. That's the beginning and the end. <laughs> I am so grateful that you spent this time with me today yeah, and to get to great. tell you in person, I admire you and you have brought so much joy, not just to me, but to my family and millions of others who get to see you on stage. Thanks a lot. That Appreciate you are that. as extraordinarily kind as you are talented is a rare thing. And thank you for coming today. I had a great time. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, anytime. All right. We did it. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.